0: thought, you know, we spoke a couple weeks ago about about the church, and, um, you know, why does the church go to church? You know, like, why do we gather here on Sunday mornings? Well, we gather because it's kind of this overflow of our lives. It's worship, and uh, I think that in many places in, in this world that that's gotten lost, and, and uh, people come to church on Sunday mornings, and uh, it's more about what they get than about what they give, and and I do think that there's a sense in which we are gathered. We are giving our worship to the Lord, and and, and we said this: the central part of our worship service is gathering around the Word of God, the, the proclaimed Word, the preaching. And so, what I want to encourage you to do is to worship as you engage with the sermon this morning. That's really that's really what it's about. And so, uh, how, how does one do that? Well, it, it's pretty simple. You. Um, You you give it your best effort to lean in and engage that which is presented and you look for the places where Jesus is presented in such a way that your heart is moved to just as you're going to see in the scripture this morning, worship him. So I invite you, uh, let's gather around God's word. We are in the most amazing, wonderful section of scripture. We're reading Matthew's gospel together. And so that you uh, will be able to track the movement of this story who haven't been here for a few weeks, let's get our bearings. Jesus has just found out that John the Baptist has been murdered. Uh, the disciples of John have come to tell Jesus the story of how John, Jesus' cousin, has been beheaded uh, by, by King Herod. And the result of that is, is if you remember, Jesus is he's heartbroken. We last week sat in that. We heard about that, it, it, the great humanity of Jesus. And Scripture says that, that Jesus kind of in his heartbroken nature, he wants to, to go and be in a desolate place by himself. And he and the, the disciples, they get into a boat and they head out but to find this mountaintop that Jesus has in mind where they're going to be in this, where Jesus can be alone with the Father. But if you remember the story, as they're, as they're going to this desolate place, the crowd finds out. And Jesus has been doing all these amazing miracles, and the crowd so longs to be with Jesus that that as, as Jesus is sailing to be with this death to be in this desolate place, the crowd sees him, they begin running along the shore, trying to catch up or, or trying to arrive at the place where his boat is gonna dock as he does. And Jesus wants solitude, the crowd wants Jesus, and, and you begin to feel the tension mounting. And you and I, what we might do is we might just kick the, kick the crowd to the curb and say, listen, we need some time by ourselves. But, but Jesus doesn't. And even though he desires to be alone with the Father, he, he demonstrates his great compassion. And he heals the sick all day long in this crowd. And, and Jesus miraculously feeds, this is where he feeds the 5,000 people with, with, uh, with a few loaves and a few fishes. And we went into great detail about that last week. And so here's here's where I need to get to next. The question is, what was the response of the crowd? Do you remember? We don't see that response in Matthew's gospel. To see that response, we have to go to John's gospel. We have to look at John 6, 15. We'll put it on the screen here. is what it says. Perceiving then that, that they were about to, talking about the crowd, that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, because he had fed them, remember? Because he had done these miracles. Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. This is what he's been wanting to do all the time. The crowd wants to make Jesus a political king, and they're willing to do so by force. And this is where I want to pick up the story today, and it's a good one. And so um, let those who have ears to hear hear. Uh, I want to stand together this morning, if you're able to, and let's read together from God's Word. We're going to be reading Matthew 14, 22 through 36, Um, and before we do, let's pause and have a word of prayer. Uh, Father, we come to you in the name of Jesus. We thank you for your scripture where we can be fed this morning. We pray that by your spirit you would open it to us, that we would understand it, it would bring conviction, and we would hear it afresh. We pray this in Jesus' name and all the church said, amen. All right, picking up from where we set the stage, beginning in verse 22, it says this, Immediately, he made the disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side while he dismissed the crowds. And after he had dismissed the crowds, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone. But the boat by this time was a long way from the land, beaten by the waves for the wind was against them. And in the fourth watch of the night, he came to them, walking on the sea. But when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified and said, It's a ghost. And they cried out in fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them, saying, Take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. And Peter answered him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. And he said, Come. And Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came to Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid, and he began to sink and cried out, Lord, save me. Jesus immediately reached out his hand and took hold of him, saying to him, O you of little faith, why do you doubt? And when they got into the boat, the wind ceased, and those in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly you are the Son of God. When they crossed over, they came to land at Gennesareth. and when the men of that place recognized him, they sent around to all the region and brought to him all who were sick and implored him that they might only touch the fringe of his garment, and as many as touched it were made well. Church, the grass may wither and the flowers may fade, but the word of our Lord will stand forever, and this is the word of our Lord. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. Let's begin working through this passage together uh, in verse 22. This is how it starts. It says, um, immediately he made the disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side where he dismissed, while he dismissed the crowds. When, when you paste this story together, here's what you discover. And just stick with me here. The, the crowds trying to make Jesus king by force. And the disciples are watching this. They're watching the crowd trying to force Jesus to become king. And so here's the question I was left with, which was, how do you think the disciples felt about this idea of Jesus becoming an earthly king? How do you think they felt about this proposition? Like, like how, do you think, how do you think Judas might have felt about the idea of Jesus becoming an earthly king? Do you think that maybe at some point this idea pleased Judas? Like he might have enjoyed being an advisor to the king and the authority that that might have brought to him, and maybe the wealth. And, And so I want to suggest to you that maybe the disciples were altogether displeased with the idea of the crowd making Jesus king. And some commentators have said that this is the very reason why Jesus so immediately sends his disciples away. It was because as the crowd tries to make Jesus a worldly king, it it was toxic for the heart of the disciples. Now, um, there's a bit of speculation in that idea. We we can't know that for sure, that that's the reason. But we do know this, that, that Jesus, he doesn't ask the disciples to leave, does he? He makes them leave. That's what it says, that he makes them leave. The King James says he compels them to leave. And, and I want to suggest you that the, that the disciples probably don't want to leave for a whole host of reasons. They wanted to uh, see what happened with the crowd. They wanted to stay by Jesus' side. Maybe being experienced in the sea, they looked up and they see the storm brewing out there and they don't really want to go yet, but Jesus compels them. And if you remember last week, we saw... Like, Jesus respond in sorrow to the death of John the Baptist. And last week we saw his humanity, his, his grief, his need to be alone with the Father in a, in a desolate place. Well, here's what I want to suggest to you. That while last week we focused on his humanity, this week you're going to see the divinity of Jesus on full display. He compels the disciples to go. And then he sends the crowd away. Now, think about that for a second. This is a group of people who was trying to overtake him by force. And by a word, just one word from his sovereign mouth, Jesus dismisses this crowd. Do you think that the crowd wanted to leave? No. Jesus compels them also. Like the sovereign king that he is, they have no choice but to obey, just just like with the disciples. Nothing ever happens to Jesus, ever. Ever that he and the Father do not ordain. Jesus is, he's never overpowered. Those who crucified Jesus do so as part of his will and for his purposes. And so after after Jesus dismisses the crowd, he finally has that, that solitude that he's been looking for it. And if you've been reading this with us over the last couple of weeks, you know that this is what he wants. Jesus, as, a, as a result of, of, of the death of John the Baptist, he's just wanted to be alone with the Father. And so he dismisses the crowd. And finally he's alone. Look at verse 23. It says this, And after he had dismissed the crowd, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. And when evening came, he was there alone. Finally alone with the Father. And I don't want to linger uh, too long here, but what do you think Jesus prayed about? You ever think about that? We can look back, maybe, maybe think that he's praying about what's happened, or we can look forward and think that he's praying about what's about to happen. I don't, I don't know. Maybe he's, he's praying over his grief of, of, of John's death. Maybe he's... Um, seeking the strength that it takes to face the cross that's coming and, and praying to the Father for that. And, and maybe Jesus is praying for the disciples. Speaking of the disciples, let's check in on them. What, what's going on with the disciples? Verse 24 says this, But the boat by this time was long way from the land, beaten by the waves, for the wind was against them. You see, Jesus had given the disciples their marching orders. And, um, you know, in Matthew's gospel, it just kind of says he sends them away. But, but if you look at Mark 6.45, which is kind of the corresponding uh, story in the gospel of Mark, it, it says that Jesus actually sends them to a destination, Beth Zeta. And, and he didn't just dismiss them. He actually gives them a destination, right? He gives them a heading to go towards. And, and why is that important? Because I need you to see that Jesus has sent the disciples straight into the wind. Do you see that? And the wind was such that it had formed giant waves. And the current is such that every time the disciples stop paddling just for a second, they start getting pushed in the opposite direction. Don't don't miss this part of the story because it's amazing. The disciples are basically... They're basically trying to paddle upstream. Have you ever tried to swim against the current? You know, they make those, uh, I've seen them on TV, rich folks have them, those, those lap pools, you know, and, and it's a skinny little pool, it's, but, but you can turn it on and it, it makes a current and you can swim as hard as you can and you'll stay right there in the center of the pool. You'll never move forward. And if you stop swimming for a second, it's going to push you to the back. And, and, and this is kind of what happens to the disciples. They're stuck in the Sea of Galilee kind of in in place and they're not making any progress and they're exhausted and they're they're wet. And I have a lot of questions about this. The first question is why did did Jesus send them directly into a storm that would produce a current that would press them in this direction? The, The second question I have is why didn't the disciples when they hit that storm or that current? Why didn't they just change directions? I guess the third question I have is, what does all this mean for you and me? So um, why does Jesus send them into the current? And the short answer is, um, I don't know. I mean, I I know that they were probably sent away when the crowd tried to make Jesus king, right? I have to believe that, that, that somewhere for them, there's something to learn about kingdom work as they paddle against the waves, right? Or, you know, I think there's something to learn there. There's, there is a kind of belief, a superstition, if you will, that believes that if you obey Jesus in your life, that everything's going to be easy. Have you heard this before? Like, people believe this, like, uh, w- w- once I start started following Jesus, everything got easy for me. My my life came together. You know, uh, I had a, a great work life, a great private life. I think people think this way. They think that obedience to Jesus will result in smooth sailing. And I'm here to tell you, and I want you to understand this, that sometimes King Jesus sends his disciples to paddle against the wind. Do you understand what I'm saying? Like, I, I, I hope so. It's metaphorical. But I hope you understand that sometimes King Jesus sends his disciples to paddle against the wind. Have you ever, have you ever felt like this? Like, like, like Jesus, I, I, I'm trying to go where you tell me. I'm trying to do as you tell me, and I'm not making any progress. It feels like everything in this world is moving the other way, and it's trying to drag me with it. And, and so what I want you to do is I want you to give some credit to the disciples here. They keep the nose of that little boat pointed on the destination that Jesus gave them. And they row, and they row, and they row. It's my understanding that that Jesus sent the disciples on their way as evening began. So, So roughly that would be around 6 p.m. Okay, so they leave at 6 p.m. Matthew says the disciples are still trying to cross the Sea of Galilee in the fourth watch of the night. Now, we don't use that language much anymore, do we? We don't talk about watches of the night. But but sailors used to take turns watching and sleeping. So you'd sleep for a while, and then it would be your turn to take a watch. And uh, they broke it up into four different watches, actually. And the fourth watch of the night would have been the last one. And so the fourth watch would be a time. It would be from 3 a.m., To 6 a.m. So, so a trip across the Sea of Galilee, it it should have taken the disciples about about two hours, okay? But at this point, they've been fighting the storm all night long. At this point, they've been paddling somewhere between nine and 12 hours, just keeping the nose of that boat pointed where Jesus told them to go. And do you remember the last time that the disciples were in a storm? We saw it in Matthew 8. We heard about it earlier. Jesus was asleep in the back of the boat, and uh, and they woke him up, and he calmed the wind and the waves. But now Jesus isn't in the boat, is he? Where's Jesus? He's back on the mountain. He's praying with the Father. I like to think at some point that part of what Jesus is praying for is the disciples who were stuck in the storm. Jesus knows exactly what's happening to them. And if you want to split hairs, Jesus has ordained what is happening to them. The wind and the waves are being used for their sanctification. And in a way that really echoes all the truths of the gospel, hear this. Jesus does not stay up on that mountain. He comes down to save his people, amen? The glory of Jesus is about to be on full display. Jesus knows right where his disciples are. Even though they're in the middle of the sea, even though it's, 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 it's in the dark of night, Jesus knows right where to find them. And he walks straight to them. And oh yeah, by the way, he's walking on the water, right? Verse 25 says this, And in the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. Now, this is not somewhere on the edge of the water. This is the middle of the Sea of Galilee. And Jesus, uh, he would have no rocks to stand upon, as some have suggested. He, you know, in their imagination, they imagine Jesus being on the edge of the Sea of Galilee. This is miles in. Look at verse 26. But when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified and said, It's a ghost. And they cried out in fear. Now, it's kind of a strange detail, isn't it? The disciples think that Jesus is a, is a ghost, but give the disciples some credit. They've got to be borderline delirious at this point. They've been fighting the waves for some 10 some odd hours. And when, when they see a human figure in the night and his body weight is not displacing the water beneath him. At that point, a ghost may not be the most unreasonable assumption, right? So, so a couple observations. Uh, I don't know why, but uh, in my imagination, I always thought that when Jesus walked on the water, it was a sunny day. I don't know why I thought that, right? I don't know why. I, I guess I saw a painting sometime of Jesus walking on the water, and in that painting, the seas were calm. But that's not what we have here. Jesus comes down off the mountain. He knows exactly where the disciples are. They're in the middle of the lake, in the middle of the windstorm. And Jesus walks into the storm to save them. And and here's what my mind has a hard time figuring out. So wrap your head around this. My mind is having a hard time figuring out how walking on the water works with giant waves. Like, do the waves part before him? Does he step, is it like a stairmaster? Is he stepping over them? Is it unlevel ground? I mean, have you ever thought about that? How do you walk on the water and the waves? It's just a weird thing to think about. Look what Jesus says to them. Verse 27. But immediately, Jesus spoke to them saying, take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid, he says, It's, it's, it's me. Rather, Jesus says, he rather, he says this, it is, it is I. Well, that's what it says in our translation. But it's a strange pairing of words in the Greek, okay? I'm going to tell you that. It's a strange pairing of words in the Greek. It's a familiar pairing of words, but it's a strange pairing of words. It's found primarily in the Gospel of John, okay? That's where we find this, this pairing of words. And, and it, it's found as part of the I am statements. Uh, Ego am I. I am. I am the bread of life, he said. I am the door. I am the good shepherd. It's also found in the Septuagint, which is the Greek translation of the Old Testament. And and, and just real quick, let's look at where we could find it in the Old Testament. It's found in Exodus 3.14. Let's just read that real quick. Exodus 3.14. God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. God says to Moses, You tell them that I am has sent you. Ego am I. So here's the cool part. And I just need you to understand how cool this is. When Jesus comes walking up in the storm, right? And he finds his disciples and they're in trouble and they're exhausted and they're tossed by the waves. Do you know what he says? Do not fear, take courage. I am. You see what he's saying? Jesus is saying, you don't have to be afraid about the wind or the waves because I am. Jesus is saying what? I'm God. And I'm here. I don't, I don't know who needs to be reminded of this today. Like surely some people in this room, you have storms in your life and you're exhausted because it's just one wave after another, what does it mean for you to hear Jesus say, take courage, don't be afraid, I am? And so we see Peter. Peter responds to Jesus' statement. Look at verses 28 and 29. And Peter answered him, Lord, if it's you, command me to come to you on the water. And Jesus said, come. So Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came to Jesus. What? Listen, we we could preach a whole sermon on Peter here, and many have, right? Many have just taken this passage and preached a sermon. Uh, uh, What can we say about this? Peter walked on water, and once again, like, I just, the whole waves thing, my, my mind's just blown. Like, what does that look like? Is, is, is Peter stepping over waves? What does that look like? And, and what, what does Peter demonstrate here? He demonstrates faith. Can you imagine, I, I just can't, I, my, my, man, my, my brain's stuck. Can you imagine throwing your leg over the side of the boat? I mean, because we don't think about those little details, right? Peter's got to throw his leg over the side of the boat. And when it hits the water, it doesn't sink. And so you put the other leg over the side, and before you know it, like, what he, you know how everyone almost tips out of the boat whenever anyone gets out on or off of it? I wonder, like, how that kind of, he rocked the boat, and then he's up on his feet, and he's fixed his eyes upon Jesus. And Peter has, he has no power within himself to walk on water. This is all Jesus. This is almost the foreshadowing of the ministry of the apostles. The the apostles will do these miraculous things, and it will not be the power that they have within themselves. It's all the power of the Holy Spirit. Look at verses 30 and 31. We'll read those together. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid and began to sink, and he cried out, Lord, save me. And and Jesus immediately reached out his hand and took hold of him, saying to him, O you of little faith, why Did you doubt? This simple story teaches us a simple truth. And I'll remind you of that truth this morning. You ready? When you're in the storm, you can stand above it when you have your eyes upon Jesus. But when your attention is diverted from Jesus, when you look at the wind and the waves of life instead, what happens? You start to sink into it, right? Man, faith's kind of easy until you're in the storm. Let me say that another way, and maybe it'll make sense to you. You will one day experience the storms of life. If you've not yet, like if you're, if you've not yet, it's coming. Cami and I talk about it all the time. We've, we've got... We've got our health, our kids' health, both of our parents are alive. We know that it's coming one day, the storms of life, the death of a spouse or, God forbid, a child. Some people experience storms through some sort of public embarrassment or shame. You lose a job or there's some kind of wicked betrayal of a spouse or something like that. Maybe a horrible diagnosis in your life. It's a storm. These things happen. And not just to bad people. You know that, right? These things happen to, to people who have the nose of their boat pointed exactly where Jesus told them to go. And the wonderful testimony of the story is that Jesus comes to those who are in the storm and he says this: He says, Take heart. Don't be afraid. I am. And when by faith we, we, we fix our eyes upon Jesus, we somehow supernaturally have the ability to stay afloat in the midst of the storm and to rise above it. We have this peace that passes all understanding and it's ours in Christ. But when your attention is upon the storm, when you dwell upon the, the wind and the waves, what happens? You sink into it all. The storm starts to overtake you. And and, and if you've never been in a true storm in this life, that that won't make sense to you. But if you have, you, you know exactly what I mean when I say the storm seems to overtake you and swallow you up and immerse you. It's exactly what happens for Peter. He starts to sink into it. And he cries out to Jesus, Lord, Lord, save me. I've prayed that before. In my life, I I, I can remember feeling like I was getting swallowed up by life and and praying, Lord, save me. I I prayed it for the first time when the Holy Spirit came in to my heart and I recognized my great need for Jesus. I prayed, Lord, save me. And I prayed it on a few other occasions in my life. Jesus reaches out and he, he takes hold of Peter. And Jesus reminds him, he says, oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt Anyone here feel like this passage was for you this morning? Like maybe the Holy Spirit had this teed up so that you would be reminded that in the midst of life's storms that you are to keep your eyes upon Jesus. I'm willing to bet that that's exactly the case for some of you. Let's read verses 32 and 33 together. And when they got into the boat, the wind ceased. And those in the boat worshipped him, saying, truly, you are the Son of God. I want to suggest to you that everything we've read today is just this amazing display of the divinity of Jesus. I want to suggest to you that Jesus' authority is on clear display. He, He sends his disciples away. He sends the crowds away. We see his authority in all this. He walks upon the water. We see his authority even over the water. We see who he is. Matthew's been showcasing for us how different groups respond to Jesus. And it's time to see how the disciples will respond. And how do the disciples respond to Jesus, my friends? They do two things that are instructive for us. First, they worship Jesus. Now now get a good visual in your mind. What would, what would it have looked like for Jesus and Peter to have crawled back into that boat and for the waves to immediately stop and they just, the wind stops, the waves disperse in real time and the exhausted disciples, they look over at Jesus and they can't fully process what's just happened and the only response that seems appropriate to them is worship. And Matthew says they worship him saying, This, truly, you are the son of God. And and listen, friends, this is the first time that the disciples have ever said this. This is a revelation for them. But think what they've been shown. Jesus' supernaturally controlled nature. At the same time, he proclaimed to them that, that I am the great I am. I hope you see that there's a great kindness and Jesus showing himself to his disciples like this. Not, not everyone gets to see Jesus' glory on display this way. The miracles of Jesus, whenever he gives them, they're gifts for people so that your faith may be boistered and, and held up. And here's what I would suggest to you this morning. The miraculous gifts that Jesus gives are given to you and I this morning by the word of God that we too might see them, and that we too might be given faith. Let he who hears this morning be encouraged by the power of Jesus, who, who comes to us in the storm and says to us, take courage, do not be afraid, I am. Keep your eyes fixed upon him and not the storm. May your response be the same as that of the disciples. May you worship Jesus this morning in this place for what you have seen and heard him do. Saying to him, Jesus, truly you are the son of God. Let's, uh, let's go to prayer and let's have a, a prayer of worship of Christ this morning. Um, Christ, your church, worships you. For we have seen the miraculous works you've done this morning. And, and, and what is left in your church is great, great love and, and admiration and worship, Christ. Um, we see you act here how we know it is in your nature, that you come to your people when they're in great need in the storms of life and you, and you save. And you've done that for many of us. And so, Father, we continue to give you praise for that. We pray all these things in the name of Christ Jesus, our Lord. And all the church said, amen.